Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 157 of the GDPR Weekly Show. We want to begin this week with a small celebration because we have now exceeded 50,000 downloads of the GDPR Weekly Show podcast. So, coming up in episode 157, we have news of a massive credit card data breach involving Barclays, Bank of Scotland and the Royal Bank of Scotland. We then have news that the UK clothing brand Jack Wills has been affected by the reindeer data breach. And then we then travel to Italy, where Deliveroo and Foodinu have been fined for the use of gig worker shift allocation algorithms. We then travel to Korea where the famous fashion and perfume brand Chanel has been affected by a data breach, and then to the USA, where waste management resources have had a data breach, and staying in the USA, senior advisors had a data breach, which exposed the details of some 3 million US senior citizens. We then travelled to Japan, where technology producer Mamata has suffered a data breach, and we then look at the difference between the old and new standard contractual clauses approved by the European Commission. So as always, a good mix of articles for you in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. We do hope you find the articles useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we incorporate your suggestions for improvements into the show. Unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. We begin this week the news that hackers have released private details of around 1 million people in a major credit card data breach. The release of the details has been part of a promotion for a new underground site run by the criminal group called All World Cards. It's understood which the cards, which are from 2018-19, are now available for sale on the Hacker Forum, with 20% of them still technically valid. The release data includes names, expiry dates, CVV numbers, postcodes and email addresses, as well as other private information on the card holders. Additionally, almost all the cards have a visible bank identification number associated with an issuer. Hundreds of banks worldwide are affected by the breach, including major US bank JP Morgan and British banks Barclays, Bank of Scotland and the Royal Bank of Scotland. It's known that hackers are increasingly using carding to gain access to credit card details, where bots are used to test lists of recently stolen credit card and debit card details on merchant sites. Criminals are then able to use information from the stolen credit cards to buy products or more commonly purchase gift cards that can be exchanged for goods and are then difficult to trace. All World Cards are selling the details for between $0.30 and $14.40, with almost three quarters costing between $3 and $5. The cyber criminal group is looking to become a big player on the hacker scene, and this one million dump will be appreciated by bad actors. If we receive any update from any of the banks concerned, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. British clothing brand Jack Wills were among a number of brands affected this week when there was a data breach at Reindeer. It's understood that the poorly constructed Amazon S3 bucket contained data from about 300,000 Reindeer customers. 
Configuring permission and access flaws in cloud-based deployments seems to be a trivial procedure nowadays, with more and more breaches from Amazon S3 buckets. Organisations that want to use these buckets should keep an eye out for security breaches and notify anyone of any suspected vulnerability in the cloud infrastructure. This should be done in conjunction with a secure cloud-based system. In the case of Reindeer, it's understood that the stolen information includes the IDs of 3,600,009 customers and photos of 1,400 customers. It's understood that as many as 35 countries have been affected by the breach, with the United States, Canada and United Kingdom accounting for nearly 280,000 of those customers affected. It's understood that with approximately 50,000 files and a total of 32 gigabytes of information exposed, Reindeer was forced to cease operation. If we receive any update from Reindeer or from Jack Wills, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Italy now, and Italy's privacy regulator has slammed two of the country's biggest online food delivery firms, Deliveroo and Foodino, with multi-million euro fines for using algorithms that discriminated against some of their gig economy workers. The regulator said that the workers could be penalised based on how artificial intelligence algorithms were being used to assess their work. But those algorithms remained secret and workers had no way to appeal on any such assessment. In addition, the regulator said the firms could not prove the algorithms were not being discriminatory. As a result, Italy's Data Protection Authority, the Durante, on Monday announced a 2.9 million fine against Deliveroo for violating GDPR. The penalty follows the Durante announced on July 5th that an investigation into Italian operators of Food and O, it would be fining that food company 2.6 million euros for violating GDPR. It also issued an injunction requiring specific improvements to be made. Deliveroo did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the Durante's findings, nor did Food and O, which reportedly has plans to appeal the fine. So to give a bit of background, Foodino, owned by Barcelona, Spain-based Drover App 23, is an on-demand food delivery service that was raided over a two-day period in June 2019 by the Durante as part of a joint investigation with Spain's Data Protection Authority, the AEPD. The AEPD's investigation into Foodino's Spanish operations is ongoing. Foodino operates in 22 other countries across Africa, Europe, Asia and Central and South America. Durante says it found the algorithms being used by the company to manage its Italian workers for booking them shifts and assigning them deliveries were violating those workers' rights under GDPR. The Durante reports that all delivery personnel or riders, typically bicyclists or moped riders, initially stored with a default value, which subsequently was adjusted based on the following characteristics and weightings. Customer feedback, a thumbs up or a thumbs down, would affect the ratings by 15%. Merchants themselves, the restaurants, could affect the ratings by 5%. If the person was willing to work in hours of high demand, that gave a 35% change to the rating. How they performed on delivering orders on time was 10% and productivity generally was another 35%. Workers with the higher score gained the ability to book new working slots before others, but Durante found that the company's practices failed to honour its workers' rights because they didn't explain the algorithm to the workers and gave the workers no chance to appeal. As a result, Durante ordered Foodino to modify its systems to verify that booking and assignment algorithms were not discriminating against anyone, as well as to modify some overly long personal data retention practices. Now, the 2.6 million euro fine imposed by Durante on Foodino wasn't solely because of the algorithm problems, but also because the company didn't have a data protection officer in place, 
and it was not keeping sufficient records. Of course, the algorithm mainly refers to GDPR Article 22, which concerns automated individual decision-making, including profiling. We turn now to Deliveroo. Deliveroo, which was founded in 2013, operates not just in Italy and the UK, but also in the Netherlands, France, Belgium, Ireland and Spain, as well as in Australia, Singapore, Hong Kong, United Arab Emirates and Kuwait. In June 2019, as part of its probe of food delivery businesses, Durante raided Deliveroo's offices gathering information and conducting interviews over a two-day period. Based on Durante's penalty notice, the system is understood to have worked as follows. Delivery's Italian operation relied on a centralised system hosting a data centre in Ireland, which it was using to support 8,000 self-employed contractors or riders. Each rider signed an agreement with Deliveroo and then received access to an app they had to install on their mobile device that they used whenever they were on the shift. For the Italian operation of Deliveroo, managers fed information into the Irish-based central system, which would rate the rider's performance but without revealing the logic that was being used. The Italian operator told regulators that it has access only to the data it can influence, feeding the shared database without deciding the logic of the processing. Durante found that the information being used to rate riders included the riders' availability to work critical time slots, such as Friday, Saturday and Sunday evenings, whether the rider worked shifts they reserved or cancelled after starting the shift, and how quickly the rider delivers their orders. More highly rated riders had access to busier and more lucrative shifts, but as with the Food and O case, Amongst other problems, Durante said its investigation found multiple transparency and fairness issues surrounding how Deliveroo used the algorithms to assign the work and their lack of an appeals procedure for employees to appeal against the algorithms' decisions. So what can we learn from these two cases? Well, obviously, A, that if you are using algorithms to profile in how you allocate work to your staff, then make sure that you have that algorithm documented somewhere and make sure that you can explain it to your staff and also give them the right to appeal if they think the calculation by the algorithm is wrong. And secondly, it emphasises the importance of appointing a data protection officer if you have any number of staff. Certainly if you have over 250 staff, you're legally obliged to have a data protection officer, but perhaps you need one even if you have less than that, if you have complicated procedures or algorithms in use. And, of course, there's always a decision to be made on whether you should have an internal or external data protection officer. Now, we would always recommend external data protection officers, and some would say, well, you're bound to say that, because that's how you make your money. And I can't deny that. But that's not our prime reason for saying external is better. The main reason for saying external is better is that your data protection officer must be able to make unbiased decisions, not swayed by the commercial realities of the company, but solely based on the best interests of people's data. And it's our firm belief that employees of an organisation often can't do that, because although their current position may be safe, it may well be made clear to them by those in charge of an organisation that their promotion prospects are severely dented if they raise too many complaints against the company, whereas an external data protection officer can't be swayed in that way because there are contractual protections in place. So some interesting decisions after this case, which I think will circulate wider across the GDPR community across Europe and the UK. To Asia now, and the Korean arm of French luxury brand Chanel has issued an apology after personal data belonging to its customers was exposed. In a statement issued earlier this week, Chanel Korea blamed a data leak that happened on August the 8th on a recent cyber attack. It's understood that a database belonging to Chanel is believed to have been compromised by a hacker or hackers 
at some point between August the 5th and 6th. Day threats were traded in the attack and later leaked online includes some customer names, birth dates, gender, phone numbers and shopping history. The Korea Herald reported that other sensitive information contained in the compromised database, including customers' IDs, passwords and payment information, had not been leaked. In a statement, Chanel said parts of our database containing the personal information that customers who have registered for our cosmetics brand membership have been compromised. The leaked personal information includes names, birthdays, phone numbers and product purchase lists. The company has asked customers who suspect their data has been misused to make contact by phone or email. We sincerely apologise to our customers for the matter and the inconvenience it's caused, said Chanel Korea. The company went on to say that it has hired a leading independent cybersecurity firm to investigate the attack and gauge its full impact. Chanel Korea said it had not found any evidence of further impact on other systems and data, but had reported the incident to Korea Internet and Security Agency, the KISA. The matter is also understood to be under investigation by Korea's Personal Information Protection Commission, the PIPC. Customers are reportedly being informed of the cyber attack and data breach via email and text messages. Chanel Korea has not been able to confirm how many individuals were impacted by the security incident. To America now and a data breach at waste management firm Waste Management Resources has exposed the healthcare information of current and former employees as well as their dependents. The company says that it discovered signs of suspicious activity on June the 21st this year. In a statement, Waste Management Resources says, We immediately launched an investigation with the assistance of third-party forensic specialists to determine the nature and scope of the activity and contacted the FBI. Our investigation determined that an unauthorised actor entered our environment between June 21st and 23rd, accessed certain files and took a limited number of files. The unknown hacker was able to access the healthcare information of certain staff who submitted claims to the company's self-insured health plan. The files that may have been accessed included names, social security numbers, taxpayer identification numbers, government and state ID numbers, driver's licence numbers, dates of birth, bank account numbers, debit and credit card numbers. Also exposed were staff members and dependents, medical history and treatment information, health insurance information, passport numbers and usernames, email addresses and passwords for financial electronic accounts. While the company discovered the breach on June 21st, it didn't reveal the breach until this week. Waste Management Resources is recommending that those affected check their credit report and ask for either a fraud alert or a credit freeze to be placed on it. Waste Management takes the security and privacy of the data within our network very seriously, a spokesman said. Earlier this year, we became aware of a cybersecurity incident and immediately opened an investigation into the matter with third-party forensic specialists and, and the FBI. Through that investigation, we determined that this incident may have impacted certain job applications and employment-related information. The spokesperson went on to say, There have been no business interruptions as we've worked to address this matter. We have implemented additional safeguards in relating to data security and regret any concern or inconvenience this incident may cause. Want to ask GDPR questions live? Come and join our GDPR surgery on Clubhouse, Thursday, 4pm UK time. Remaining in America now and a similar breach to the one which we started this week's episode with, i.e. the credit card Amazon S3 bucket misconfiguration. Cybersecurity researchers have found another misconfigured Amazon S3 bucket that exposed personally identifiable information of over 3 million US senior citizens. Discovered by researchers at WizCase, the S3 bucket belonged to senior advisor which describes itself as the largest ratings and reviews website for senior care and services across the US and Canada. 
The misconfigured S3 bucket contained over 180 gigabytes of data, exposing the names and contact details of over 3 million individuals. The researchers noted that the S3 bucket was accessible to anyone on the internet and the information inside it was not encrypted. According to their analysis, the majority of exposed data was in the form of leads and included contact details of potential customers that WizCase assumes were targeted by various email or telephone campaigns. The information also lists the dates the users were contacted, which ranged from 2002 to 2013, although the files themselves were time-stamped 2017. In addition to the personally identifiable information, WizCase also discovered around 2,000 reviews that were scrubbed of user details. However, all of the reviews had a lead ID, which could be used to pull out the user's scrub details without too much effort. We've approached senior advisor for comment, but as we go to broadcast, we've not heard from them. When we do receive any comment from senior advisor, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Japan now, and Japanese electronic components manufacturer Murata has released an apology for the leak of thousands of files in June this year that contained bank account information for its employees and business partners of the company. Norio Nakajima, CEO of Murata Manufacturing, said in a statement that the incident on June 28 occurred when a subcontractor downloaded a project management data file containing 72,460 pieces of information. More than 30,000 documents contain business partner information like company name, address, associated names, phone numbers, email addresses and bank account numbers. The companies are based in Japan, China, the Philippines, Malaya, Singapore, the US and the EU, but Murata said that those subject to customer information are only from China and the Philippines. Over 4,100 documents about employees were in the leak as well, similarly containing names, addresses and bank account details. The employees were based in companies' offices in Japan, China, the Philippines, Singapore, the US and the EU. In the statement, the company went on to say, on July the 20th of this year, it was confirmed that an employee downloaded the project management data, including our business partner information and personal information, to a business computer without permission and uploaded it to the personal account of an external cloud service in China. In addition, we've received reports from a survey of external cloud service providers that it was confirmed that the information taken out was never copied or downloaded by any third party. The uploaded data has already been deleted from the business PC and external cloud storage service. No virus infection or cyber attack has been confirmed in this matter. Japanese news outlet IT Media spoke to the subcontractor concerned, who said, I was uploading my know-how to her personal cloud and organising it in order to learn system design. It happened to contain sensitive information about customers. It's understood that the subcontractor was an engineer for IBM Dalian Global Delivery, a subcontractor of IBM China. Murata's accounting system update project was outsourced to IBM Japan, which subcontracted it to IBM China. The system is used to pay both its employees and its partners. Murata has said that it is considering cancelling the contract and potentially seeking damages. Murata dominates the research, production and sale of electronic devices made from fine ceramics with over 70,000 employees and a turnover of some £2 billion this year. We've had a number of calls to our helpline lately about the differences between the new standard contractual clauses approved by the European Commission and the previous standard contractual clauses. And so we thought perhaps it was worth spending a moment just explaining what the key differences are. The new standard contractual clauses impose more responsibilities and shift the burden to data importers, e.g. additional representations and warranties, 
onward transfer obligations, notification and record keeping requirements, as well as new sensitive data and accuracy obligations and expanded security and data breach requirements. For data importers who are data processors, then the new standard contractual clauses also incorporate the compulsory clauses of GDPR. The new standard contractual clauses also put more direct liability to both individuals and authorities in Europe for data importers. The new clauses also allow more choice for governing law and venue during the dispute and more explicit requirements on both parties with respect to the new SREMS 2 analysis regarding the potential for overly intrusive foreign government access to data. Now, implementing the new standard contractual clauses, there are a number of things that are important. It'd be important for all data importers to carefully review their new responsibilities under the new standard contractual clauses, particularly if your company is not already GDPR compliant. Identify any old standard contractual clauses to which you may be a signatory. Identify the roles of the parties therein, i.e. controllers or processors, and begin to notify the applicable third parties of the need to execute the appropriate module of the new standard contractual clauses. It's also very important that you review your data processing agreements, particularly if your data processor is based outside of the UK and or the EU. Now, within the UK for data transfers, it's slightly more complicated because the new standard contractual clauses aren't strictly under UK GDPR. We're still awaiting the UK standard contractual clauses, which we've been promised by the ICO, will appear before the end of 2021. So in the interim, we're recommending to our clients that they continue to use the new standard contractual clauses rather than any previous clauses, because it seems to us incredibly unlikely that the standard contractual clauses to eventually emerge from the UK ICO will be substantially different from the new clauses approved by the European Commission. It is a complex area, so if you'd like any help with it, then please do contact us using the contact details that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurety production. Until next time, bye-bye.